0: We're live in
1: three, two, one. All right, everybody. Well, welcome once again to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak brand camo and the Gamekeeper Studio. And I look around. Today is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, with uh, with a really interesting young man named John Paul Morris. No doubt, and uh, one he, of the great ones. He, I'm yeah. telling
3: you, one he, of the great ones. Boy, and he he
1: loves outdoors as much as anybody I've ever seen. Oh, and his
3: dad has. too. You know, Maybe more. To that. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 so they're icons. They really are. But it's a uh, it's an amazing family.
0: Yeah, well, an amazing story. Amazing story. How Bass Proven came to be. You know, I know even me as a child, it was like going to Disneyland when you went to Bass Pro. Yeah. You, know? Uh, you know what? And there's no way it, to go in really there. It really does. <laughs> yeah, there's no way to go in there and not buy something. It's just, you know, it's just that much fun. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it really
4: I, is. I went on a, a vacation when I was a kid. I, I think I think it's 1990, and we went to Bass Pro in Springfield and stayed at one of the little cottages on the lakes. Yeah. Fished in the, the trout stream. I think you were saying it's called Dogwood
0: Canyon. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Had a great time.
4: It it was big then, and it's just gotten... Bigger now. It was my
0: senior trip. When I graduated high school, me and my buddy got in my Bronco and drove to Bass Pro Shops. Bought a fly rod, bought some flies. Do you still have that fly rod? I still have... I don't know if I have a fly rod. I got the fly real for sure. His tight self still yeah, has you know. everything. <laughs> <laughs> he probably None can't change the lines That's in 1999. Like right. yeah. 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 Like, like Dudley, it was a destination but, for us. Uh, as, as, yeah, you know, I bought we a young. box
4: call that I still use you to still? this day. Yeah. Wow. So yeah.
0: I still got some of the stuff we bought you know, yeah. years
4: yeah.
1: ago there. Uh, well, but, I think all of us have been up there. Like a, it's like going to Mecca. You yeah. just kind of make a journey up there at some point. In, yeah. yeah, you it's know, fun. you had
0: as a kid, you always had some magazines stashed out. You know, when you, did you when you were bored, you would look at mine was Bass Pro and Cabela's. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure yours were a little different, Bob. No,
1: me. no, my mind I might have been. Uh, I might have had some outdoor life it's and film streaming yeah, yeah, there Yeah. But not what you're thinking <laughs> at all. I was very tubular minded. At, you're uh, still my, tubular uh, minded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so look, before we get down this road, um, when this podcast comes out, it will uh, have been the 20th anniversary of September 11th, and mm. I just want to make sure we kind of paid respect. There's a, there's uh, you know a lot going to happen here on this 20th anniversary. Cuz has got a podcast yes, with uh, Will Hamino. That's right. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, Will, to people great, listen to great that. Buddies. So, uh, but mm. boy, so many people. You know, gave everything for us on they that the, the day. I just want to make sure we kind of call that out. And I wanted to ask, do you guys remember where y'all were
0: on that? Oh, time? I, I know exactly where, where I was. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was at work. I was yeah. at the at the front office. That's what I would say if
3: I was here. Later. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but it was when I left the house, going to coming to Mossy Oak. Uh, they had said a Cessna had hit the World uh, Trade Center. Yeah. I was like, and I was like, yeah. hey. That don't make any sense. He should have been able to see that building. Uh, and then, of course, Cessna in New York. By the time we got to the office, turned the TVs on, yeah. it was yeah. it was. What about uh, you, Dudley? Kind of uh, I
4: was watching the news at home one morning. About to go check my cotton boll weevil trap. Oh, boll weevil checker. And saw That's it. Right. Uh, That's long ago. I was somewhere. in Cleveland, Mississippi. Wow! Just was happened to be watching the news when it happened.
3: So I was on it the was bulldozer. Surreal. We had just bought the sledge place. That's a long ago. Wow. And uh, I was on a bulldozer there. We actually called it the 911 plot. Ah,
0: that's and when you got it. And
3: Phil Barker was working for me on land management mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. He came screaming around the corner and jumped out and was like, it's bad, it's bad, it's really bad. And I was like, well, what's bad? And he was trying to tell me through saying he said it like 10 times. It's bad, it's bad, it's really bad. And he would tell a little more, tell it. And we jumped in his truck and left it there and went back to the little cabin there and watched the rest of it and hunkered down. Went flying back home, filled up
5: ten or fifteen
3: yeah, Yeah, things of fuel and hunkered down with the family, didn't know what was next. It was a dark, dark day. The one thing I'd like to say before we move on, we call John Paul and get involved in the the Miracle of Bass Pro and all it's done for the outdoors is that and I've watched the news, I've watched all the divisiveness today, and so Mm -hmm. I'm not a political guy, as y'all know, at all. I'm looking for things to unite us all the time. That one did. It, it, and we talk about it, you know, whatever, Republican, Democrat, whoever you are, didn't really matter for just a little while. We, boy, we need to, there's any way we can get that magic back. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, people that watch and follow Mossy Oak, let's be uniters. And the thing that unites all of humanity over anything else, and I promise you if there's a wiser guy that knows this, that walking than Johnny Morris and then John Paul, I don't know of them, is the earth we live on. It unites everybody, you know? It's the common Hunting, non-hunting, right? whatever. <laughs> yeah. We all have to care for the earth we live on or we won't even exist as a humanity. So, you know, that's first and foremost, and that's the backbone of what conservation really means. So I just kind of flipping 911 to pulling us all together to trying to make sure everybody, all the most old people out there, and we love y'all, is let's be the uniting force it's so easy. Mother Ma- Nature can that, do it for all of us. Amen. That makes too much sense. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so
4: easy to say something negative, but yeah, uh, no agenda. Be, see? be positive, you know, and and lead by
1: example. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. Well, look, before we move on, we uh, there's a segment that we hadn't got to do in a, quite a while called "Blood on the Biologic." Oh yeah, and but. We, is hunting because I'm tired yeah, of hearing yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. else everywhere,
3: and it's not open season here yet. So, <laughs> well,
1: so we had, so there were three guys that I was aware of. Hawkins Mackey, oh my gosh, killed a giant velvet. That's a way buck. to start it out. Huh? Now, Boy, I'm Is that his first?
3: That's his first, first bow buck. First, first, yeah. yep, first pretty buck amazing. with a bow.
1: What yeah. a deer. It was just incredible.
3: What a deer. Pretty and, good guide he has up there. Yeah, yeah he's so got some pretty good intelligence. Good, I good ground.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. It, so, anyway, we want to congratulate Hawkins. But then uh, Michael Hunter and Daniel Hayes. Oh, buddy. that's right. Yeah. Big kill, elk. elk, elk, elk. elk sure yeah. That's right.
3: Yeah. That's yep. some
1: great pictures of them.
3: And I know getting, they had a good getting time. be in a camp
4: with Michael Hunter cooking for you.
3: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you get Daniel to talk about flying some of it home and the events he had. But we heard a that's, little That's little more story than, about than you want that. to get into on the podcast. <laughs> but it was quite the adventure, to say the least. Oh, wow.
1: Well, you know, I, it's not easy sometimes to travel no, with,
3: uh, no, no, no. with firearms no. or ammo. Well, he, he didn't travel with the firearm. It wasn't that. He, he mailed it back separately, sent it into the gun store yeah. legally and all, but uh, instead of trying to fly it back. But um, it's interesting, to say the least. But they had a great time. And, uh, you know, Michael had the best week of his life, which coming from a guy that great a guy makes you feel good about doing something for him. He's mm-hmm. he's amazing. He's such a good soul.
1: Yeah, yeah he yeah. well you know somebody the, the door keeps opening over here and we yeah, keep, speaking hey, of Michael here comes, the game. Butchering butchering yeah, here the comes Sam Kohler what and Vandy and they've got uh, they're not far from food I promise you not sure what
0: this is but I think it uh, might be rabbit Tell t- go over there and tell us what this is
2: young Sam <laughs> this is a smoked rabbit salsa verde
0: chiliquiles. Chilequiles. what about that Bobby you know, wow. That's
1: Spanish. rabbit. I saw
3: him when he was out there skinning
1: the rabbit, and it was- uh, It looks amazing. Radishes, eggs,
3: rabbit. rabbit. That's awesome. Man. Mr. Fox was here. My dad would say, hey, that, that old Sam, he's a regular chef boy RD now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sam, thank you. Why
1: don't you, Why don't you stay, stay in here, up? Sam, so we can, uh, we'd love for you to hang around with us, if you would, just a little bit, unless you need to go do the dishes or something. But uh, Vandy's got those. Vandy's got <laughs> the dishes.
0: <laughs> well, that looks awesome. It's in an iron skillet. Man, I, I love the way an egg looks with a
3: jalapeno. I got a feeling i familiar with this next year anyway, too.
0: Yeah, that's true. Is
4: that Pepper? Isn't that what you I, were saying I, earlier? I think
1: that's a German way to pronounce it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: So, what's look, Hassan
0: well, pepper? Hassan Pfeffer? Hassenpfeffer, I think what
1: is it's that? rabbit in German. I don't oh. know why I know that,
3: but it just popped up. <laughs> you know what Gamekeeper are, is in German? Y'all are ADDing now. Let's get on topic. Jägermeister. Oh, look at that. Yeah. That's a possible sponsor.
1: Yeah. You know, Lanny, I'm tired. I okay. spent. I dreamed of mufflers all night last night. Mufflers? And I woke up exhausted. Boom!
0: <laughs> Boy, that's a good one. <laughs> it, that has got to be edited out. <laughs> okay. that's just cheesy. Uh, that
1: sounds like a Murray Show's joke. It does.
4: Yeah,
0: hey, he's well. had some
1: pretty good ones lately. Okay, so I'm going to text John Paul and tell him we're going to call him. And he wanted a heads up. So Bring here we on. go. Bring on. This is a landline, should sound great. hello john paul
5: hey there bobby how's it going oh
1: it's going great look i'm sitting here with a bunch of guys i got dudley phelps here lanny wallace uh sam Kohler, richie davenport uh toxie hayes is sitting in here with us and we're the whole crew, bro. <laughs> We're excited to <laughs> oh, have man. you. Oh man! All right, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, look, let me get a good introduction for you. So, uh, Oma, t- we haven't been talking about you, but we've been saying nice things about you being the, the upcoming guest on today's show. So, we ha- officially we have John Paul Morris from the uh, the great state of Missouri here with us and. Those are some fancy horns, John Paul.
5: That's <laughs> quite the introduction right there. Hey, John Paul, I
3: apologize. They don't get out much anymore.
5: Yes. This COVID period, they got us they locked just, down. it's sad. We never
0: like sound effects so much.
5: I know better than that. Hunting season's right around the corner. I'm sure you'll all be getting out plenty. Yeah, oh, we're, we're a little delirious right yeah. now. Yes. We
0: are looking for, as we
1: know you are. Yeah. I mean, it, if, if a guy follows you on like Instagram One week it's uh, one critter, and the next week it's it's bow fishing. I mean, you 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 get after it pretty hard.
5: Well, you know, I've uh, grown up around hunting and fishing and the outdoors my whole life, and uh, it's truly like one of my favorite, if not my favorite, passion out there spending time in the great outdoors and introducing new people to it so yeah any chance i get i'm playing hooky and going fishing or going hunting
1: yeah well we certainly understand that and so look what we wanted to do today we've all got a few questions we just wanted to learn a little bit about you and your family and i guess it all starts with your father And if there's a person that is more conservation-minded, I don't know of that person. I mean, he's he's won the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Award, the President's uh, Award from the International Association of Fish and Wildlife, so many awards. My first question, John Paul, I want to just ask, where do you think he got his love and respect for the outdoors and nature?
5: Well, you know, he grew up uh, in the outdoors and and it's no secret every time I've heard him talk about the beginnings of the company or his early days in his life, he always talks about his dad and how his dad was uh, his biggest mentor in his life that taught him not only about, you know, hunting and ref- in fishing and respecting nature and, and how important conservation is, but also his biggest hero in business and helped him get a start with bass pro shops. The first 13 years, my dad was in business. His, his only store was at my grand, my grandpa's liquor store. And, uh, so he was my dad's biggest role model, and uh, I've been so incredibly blessed. It's the same for me If you had to ask me who do I look up to the most in this world without a doubt, it would be my dad. And I've just been very blessed that he's taken me under his wing and I've gotten to experience so many things throughout you know the industry, hunting and fishing all over the place um, and just how to live you know, life in the best way possible uh, through my dad. So I think that's how he really got his start. And I mean, it's evident in everything my dad does. Uh, a lot of our meetings here at Bass Pro, a lot of products we work on, uh, a lot of it at the end of the day is how does this benefit conservation? How are we going to leave the resources better than we found them? And I know that's very near and dear to Toxie and the, the whole group at Mossy Oaks Heart, too. We really appreciate all the, gar- the hard work that you guys do as well
3: yeah john paul he's you know he's no secret to the world I, whenever I get a chance to talk about it, he's he's definitely you know i'm I'm similar to you I'm so blessed that my dad is my number one hero and best friend, and I feel like my kids are in a opposite way you know in the younger generation too but outside of that you know you're i look up to what your dad has done it's it's uh you watch somebody and you know this. Better than I'll ever know it. Although I'm looking at it from you know whatever a couple of hundred miles away, and it's under your nose every day. He just always sees things that others miss, and they talk about. He's got such great vision, and he does. Part of it is because he's got uh, he's so brave, and when he decides to do something right or wrong, he just goes and does it pretty much right. <laughs> and so, but he rips, can
5: right, There's no doubt about it. Yeah,
3: it's amazing. But I've noticed that it's not just that vision. How did he know that it would turn out like that five or ten years from? Now? He can see things in the moment that everybody else misses, and that's a that's a yeah, piece of vision thing that, that I think people just don't understand. When you talk about vision, that's a whole different element that I've never seen. Honestly, because I'm in the outdoor industry, I've never seen anybody like him. It's mm-hmm. just so amazing, honestly.
5: Wow. You know, he always says it takes. Uh, It takes partnership to achieve great things uh, in conservation. And I think that's maybe one reason he's been so successful in being an advocate for conservation is that he's been able to reach across the aisle and pull in people from, we don't like it involved in politics, but pull people from that side in, pull the industry together. And the biggest thing is pulling our customers together. Having them help round up at our registers for conservation is a huge driver of, of funding and support for a lot of these organizations. And how do we collectively get all sportsmen and women's voices together to speak up on behalf of the outdoors? And I think that's one thing he's always been a big fan of and a big supporter of. And I think that's one reason that he's been successful to, you know, implement all these great conservation projects and support. It's just mind-boggling what all he's done. It's just amazing.
1: Well, you know, and I would highly encourage anybody that he's—they've built this thing called the Wonders of Wildlife. It's incredible. amazing. Yes. It, so, you—if you were listening to this, you have got to travel to Springfield and go to this thing. It's—it's it, it's an aquarium, and then it's all the wildlife. It is just absolutely incredible. And Lanny's bookie's calling us again. I swear. So. <laughs> I
0: I'm do not disturb. <laughs>
1: well, but I would highly recommend that, and I think a couple of guys. I was in here at ben and, and that, John Paul, that has had to be a lot
5: of fun to watch that thing come together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's been awesome to see it come together. And then probably the coolest part about it, though, is seeing how many young families and how many young kids get an introduction to the sports of hunting or fishing in a positive way. You know, it's not bambi where they see a deer getting shot by a hunter it's hey hunters are the true conservationists they're doing more to protect and, and grow these pastimes and and populations than anybody else out there so it's been really cool to see and it does get a lot of really young kids you know elementary school age kids genuinely excited and invested in what's going on in the outdoors mm. you know he he again uh, he could say beyond
3: just the the importance of uh, Taking care of you know what we have and you know being a conservationist provides you better hunting and better opportunities. He he, he saw beyond that and John Paul right before we came on the kind of the preamble of this we were talking about nine one one coming up and my comment was let us as you know our Moss Hill family and people let's and I know you'd be the same let's let's let that nine one one the one thing that happened in all that tragedy we were all united. For a little while, at least, no agendas. Everything was, you know, one for all. And uh, the the only thing that I can think of, and it's one of the things what I'm getting at, is I think your dad doesn't even talk about it. He just knows is that it's beyond taking care of the critters. That the, the the caring for the earth and conservation is the one chance we have to kind of unite the whole country. You just kind of touched on it, and so my saying that was like, let's be sure to be mindful on this 20th anniversary about how we all pull together at that period of time. And if we got a chance to continue that, whether you hunt, you don't hunt or whatever, everybody should know and love the earth and taking care of it because that's what conservation is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be just for hunters. You know, we love, you know, just like you telling the story that hunters are the foremost conservationists and fishermen too and outdoors people because nobody loves it more, but it's the one thing if we don't care for you know humanity itself ceases. So, mm-hmm. um, just I'm just so grateful to have a, a seat at the you know watching what your dad is the pictures he's painted in life for caring for the earth in in, in a bigger way than just you know um, our wild game species uh, and bringing that to people's mindset. And quite honestly, you touched on it uniting people. It's just been marvelous.
5: And so I wanted to bring that call that out with nine one one coming up. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, Toxie, in a lot of ways, too, over the past year with, you know, COVID and all these challenges that we've all had, people have had issues with their health and their families and and their job and everything. But I think one thing we have seen, which is it has been a good unifier for the outdoors, just like 9-11 was for our country to come together. And one really, I think, exciting thing we can all um, feel good about is over the past year and a half, I think there's been a ton of new kids a ton of new uh, people introduced to the sports of hunting fishing or just getting outside in nature because it's all they could do that's right and uh, so hopefully that's helping to breed the next generation of conservationists that are when it comes down to it at the end of the day they're going to say these people are standing up for what's right and for our environment and for nature and it's a great thing you're seeing a lot of these millennials now they care more about what companies are doing for the environment or to be socially and economically and uh, environmentally responsible than they ever have in the past. And I think that bodes really well for, for conservation and for what we're doing as well. No doubt. And uh, you know,
3: it's so hard for all of us to compete with like quote unquote, the electronic age, especially in the younger generation. And I think it forced that hand for us. And now that they've become a part of it, I think that it's kind of the, the, you know, uh, antibiotic for the disease of, you know, the cell phone. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so they tasted that. And I, honestly, I know we've had a big bump and you've had, a. I mean, everybody's, of course, a lot of it is direct and they're maybe not coming to the stores as much, but the business, And, you know, the direct, like, license, sales, and participation is is through the roof. Like, I've never seen it in 35 years. And an appreciation for the lifestyle. I mean, that's what it's
0: all
3: about. I think the more complex the world gets, it's driving people to our way of life, Mm -hmm. you know?
4: Well,
5: yeah, it's great to see.
4: And it's interesting how, you know, there's been so much change, uh, and there's been so much struggle. I'm sure from a business standpoint, it's, difficult to get some products and and a lot of things sell out. But uh, regardless, people are just getting outside more and more. Um, I've got some favorite little trailheads I go walking on and uh, there's just cars parked everywhere now. And you can be negative about that, but uh, you you can also see that there's a lot of new people out there (laughs) enjoying the outdoors. And you can use that opportunity to help help teach people, you know. Leaving no trace when you're out there. Absolutely. uh, Things like that.
1: So, uh, John Paul, one of the things I wanted to to say is when I came to work over here at Monshio, and it's been about 25 years ago now, but we kind of were starting a video department, and Bass Pro had a video department. You you guys were producing some really good stuff. But I remember at the end of all of y'all's television shows and videos, y'all had a little tagline, that still sticks with me today, I can still remember it. We all live downstream, and there was a shot of a leaf floating downstream. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me because it's just such a great way to think about things. Whatever you do, there's somebody below you that it's going to impact.
5: Well, thanks. There's no doubt. My dad's been a visionary leader in a lot of this stuff for us, and, and I think that's something he's always held very near and dear to his heart is, you know, it's our responsibility to give back and to leave you know, everything better than we found it for the next generation. And and like you said, I think that just rings true through the way we try to carry ourselves in our business. And I know it, it's the same with the way that you guys carry yourselves in your business and you're always looking for nature first. And so thank you guys for that.
1: Yeah. Well, look, let me, let me, let's move on to some fun stuff. Now it looks like you may be so involved in bow fishing and it, it, it you have just kind of, done so much the the oneida bows it looked like you've kind of taken that on and and maybe that's kind of the the, your bow comp the 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 bass pro bow company for these bow fishing but how did all that get started in these tournaments and it, it it looks like it's so much fun
5: uh Well, you know, to be honest, I've just always loved doing about anything out in nature and uh probably about like a bunch of you boys over there. I'm a redneck and uh, I don't think that's a bad term. I consider that a term of endearment around our neck of the woods. Um, But I've always loved shooting my bow. I've always been a big bow hunter, and I met a friend of mine over in Kansas, and he said, hey, you want to come bow fishing with us? And I had shot a couple of carp off the bank before, you know, here and there during turkey season. You might see them up spawning, and uh, he took me out for a couple nights, and I just got absolutely hooked on it. And uh, it's so fun because I think with anything, you know, we've been talking about conservation, and in order for us to have good healthy participation in our sports, people need to have some action. They need to have some success while they're out in the field. And I don't care. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're fishing and you don't catch any fish or you're hunting and you don't see any deer, um, you know, that's going to kind of disappoint you. And I think one thing that's led to the explosion of the sport of bow fishing is in our country right now, we have just a runaway population of rough fish and a lot of invasive species that have really showed up on the landscape in the last 20 years. And, you know, with the silver carp and big head carp expanding through all the country's waterways and riverways, you know, there's this huge population. So people are going out, they're having fun, they're having success, and it's just a great way to uh, get out on the water with your bow you know, during a time of year that's normally a downtime. And, uh, so I've just really gravitated to it. And, uh, there's this great company, Oneida, you mentioned, and a gentleman, uh, from Michigan owned it. And he was getting up there in age in his mid 80s and got to where he couldn't shoot bows anymore. And his family didn't care about it. And, uh, I heard he might have interest in selling the company. And I went up and, and spent some time with him. And he was just a great, Character of a, uh, of a guy, and and spent hours with me talking about all the stuff he had done over the years and all the projects they tried and failed. And so, uh, it was actually a project I took on my own. We sell them at Bass Pro, but it's a separate company. And so that's been a lot of fun. My passion for archery kind of led me to that, and uh, and it's kind of a blast. You know, if I get burned out on work over here for the day at base camp, I can slide across the road and go build a couple of bows or go have some fun with the guys in the shop. So. Oh, wow, awesome.
1: yeah, yeah. That that company has been around a long time. I remember. Yeah,
3: one of the oh,
5: Absolutely. Yeah. The screaming eagle.
3: They refer to that as a
4: lever action bow. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like a hybrid between a recurve and a compound. So you kind of get the smooth draw of a recurve, but the power that you get from a compound. And so they've been they were really popular in deer hunting. In the eighties, like you mentioned, they were kind of the fastest bow out there at the time. So a lot of guys shot them and then over the years compound bows you know, made a ton of ground, uh, with, you know, innovation and R and D. And while our bows might not be the most common you see out in the deer hunting woods, if you go bow fishing among your serious tournament, bow fishermen, you won't see another bow out there in their hands beside an, uh, an Oneida. And, uh, so it's been really cool to see that. And then another little fun thing is, you know, my dad started tracker boats and his whole idea then was, let's come up with a great value package to get guys out on the water and their families out on the water fishing for an affordable price. And we took that same kind of mantra to bow fishing. And we are actually the first company to come up with a turnkey bow fishing boat through tracker that people could go buy in our stores. And that's also been really successful. And it's been great to see how many people, you know, got into the sport because they saw one of our boats and all the lights at the stores and it kind of uh, got them excited about the opportunity.
3: That's awesome. I was going to say that before you came out of your mouth. I was thinking what a genius way to get new people into the sport because we we all in business talk about that. But it's not that easy to do. And, you know, you put all the tools in our hand in one place. So that's kudos. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, JP, what about so what's what's next? Are you looking at bow season or or elk season? What's what you got going on right now?
5: Well, let's see. I'm uh, very excited about any kind of hunting, anything to get out of the office and in the woods. I'm in. But, uh, first thing on, uh, on our schedule is we're going to head out west to Utah actually this weekend. My dad and myself and my girlfriend all have tags out there for elk. So, uh, very excited about getting out in the mountains and chasing mm-hmm. some bugles and whether we have any luck or not there's just it's my favorite way to kick off hunting season every year i don't think there's uh anything like hunting you know running bull elk with a bow it's just yes. a rush
3: no doubt about it you're right it's it is amazing and the and the change in not only the you know the whatever the 800 pound turkey with a nose yeah, it's incredible <laughs> that close contact and all but uh you know, just the the air you breathe or whatever, lack of air you breathe, whatever you want to call it. But just As that change child, of scenery an and being out there, right. especially if you're, like you said, I'm just like you, the redneck from the east. It's such an adventure, no matter how many times I've ever done it. And such a, it helps my perspective when you think about stuff just like conservation. It's like you get outside your own little world and realize how big of an issue it is when you get around the world some, especially like you do, way more than I. Hmm
5: yeah sure is a great way to kick the season off but you know what i know we're on the Gamekeepers podcast here and i would also tell you although i'm excited about getting out west elk hunting probably the number one thing more than anything else i look forward to every year is spending time at our own little personal farm in missouri and all the work and effort we put in you know all year long we've been working all summer and you know, building new food plots, build new waterfowl levees here and there where we can. And to see that all pay off in the fall and to spend time, you know, on our own farm. I know how special it is to you, Toxie. Oh. I always hear it's one of your favorite things, spending time on the tractor, doing work on the land. and I'm That's waiting. what he does. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're
4: all laid up with that. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, we were talking about fishing a minute ago. I remember hearing that you were, experimenting with making fertilizer out of some of these rough fish you were shooting uh did you ever have any luck with that
5: yeah so we've done a variety of things and um and you know that is one issue with bow fishing right as you go harvest some of these rough fish what do you do with them and let's see that's one place maybe the sport gets a black eye sometimes some states allow us to go harvest, you know, fish that are readily edible or commonly consumed, and so love going to those places to bow fish, meal to come home with a cooler of fresh, you know, fillets. That's hard to beat. But in Missouri, you know, we're targeting carp um a lot, and they're not very good to eat. And so I've tried a variety of things over the year and years, and honestly, one of the most successful things I found with them is we got a big grinder. And I started grinding up a lot of the carp we're shooting and we have a lot of fishing ponds around and I actually started feeding the bait fish and hybrid stripers of ground up carp. Mm, and wow. it's a great, great source of protein for those fish. And it's just a good way for us to utilize, you know, if we go, uh, coal a bunch of bass and we fillet them, we keep the fillets and we grind up the rest of the bodies. We do the same with them. So trying to always find something creative to do with it. I've tried it some in food plots. It's hard to say the, the benefit you gain across, you know, big lands, a so few harp like that. Um, but during like our tournaments, we do partner with um, a company out of Kentucky, most recently called Aquatic Protein, that actually comes and takes all the fish we harvest, keeps them refrigerated, and they turn them into liquid organic fertilizer, and then they sell that to organic farms. So we're always trying to find something productive to do with the fish
3: that we harvest. Yeah, that is a uh, testament that you are Johnny Morris' son, because I would say the one thing that stands out about him over almost everything is he always finds a way when he makes his mind up about something. And that just just shows the world that you were determined that you weren't going to waste one of your favorite sports. And what a great story to tell for everybody. There's always a way. So, JP, are
1: these these uh, silver carp that are in the waterways that are we see in these videos jumping, and are they are they expanding so rapidly that that they're causing a lot of concern?
5: Oh yeah, huge amount of concern. So they have spread. You know, they originally escaped from uh, catfish farms in Mississippi during the the river flood at, in the early nineties, and. Those silver carp and big head carp now have spread all the way up to the gates separating the Illinois River from the Great Lakes, um, all the way down to where the Mississippi River dumps into the Gulf of Mexico. Um, they're spreading like crazy, and now states are starting to spend a ton of money and resources – realizing this is a huge issue. Um, and Kentucky is one of the best case studies for it. There's a historically two really popular uh, recreational and fishing lakes, Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake. And since the Silver Carp and Big Head Carp have gotten in there, they've seen just a huge crash, not only in some of the game fish populations, but also in the amount of tourism and the amount of trips and tournaments and wow. time mm-hmm. people are spending going to that region wow. because they're getting hurt. They're tearing up their equipment. It's hard to find... Fast like they used to. And so it's becoming a huge concern. I mean, I actually got a call from Bill Dance, one of my dad's great buddies. We all love him for his bloopers. And he called me the other day saying, JP, uh, I want your help. I'm partnering with the state of Tennessee, and we're trying to explore how do we combat this issue of Asian carp. Mm-hmm. So it's on the top of everybody's mind. It's a huge risk to a lot of waterways across the country where there's huge recreational value for just boating in general, but also fishing. So uh there's a lot of states paying attention to it. The federal government's been putting a lot of money towards it as well. Mm. I don't know if bow fishing is the answer. I don't know if we can surely take enough fish. To, you know, knock down the populations enough, but hey, every bit can help. Absolutely. And uh, if we can have a positive impact and have a heck of a lot of fun doing it, why not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Sounds like yes. they've become the wild hog of fishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a they good really have. There's, that's probably the best analogy you could come
3: up with. Man. Oof, I haven't seen them. You know, I hadn't heard about them around here. Lenny, are they on oh, the river? You, are yeah. they on the river here? Not yet, not yet.
0: Uh,
4: but they they're were, north of here. Yeah, they were in the delta when I, you know, grew up duck hunting over there. Wow. Some of those Oxbow lakes.
0: Well, mm. I know Mac and them ran into them a lot of gator hunting last week. Is that mm-hmm. right? up and down the Yazoo? Yeah, I had fish jumping in the boat, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, wow. so Lanny did you mm-hmm.
1: have a question? Uh no, I was that, just talking you, about.
0: Alligator, hunt, oh, as okay. always.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I thought you raised your hand there. So, the, look, the, the, the well, that's that's an issue. I'm, I'm glad is being addressed. We've just heard all kind of rumors about what was going on, and the, some of the technology that I've heard, some of these fishing game agencies are using some electricity to keep them out of places, little streams of electricity. And I'm told that that's working in some places, but it's very expensive to do.
0: Yeah, electricity and water seems like it's
1: kind of
4: risky. Yeah, I know. LSU has done some work on, you know, uh, canning them, processing them and canning Mm -hmm. them. Because there's a a layer of bones in there that when you fillet it, the the bones are still in the meat. Uh, And by canning something, it, you know, drastically softens the bones to where they're a non-issue. And I, I saw something on that.
3: Risk. You would think it pretty neat. people starving Excellent. in the world, they could turn it into a great exactly. protein food source for exactly.
5: people, you know, or you know. Like I that. I think the know. biggest issue they've had with that is there's just not a market here in the States for it yet. Right. Sure. Um, but around the world, there is. I mean, in Asia, there's a big market for silver carp. And so I think that's partially on us to just continue. And I think there are a lot of universities that are looking into that, right? How do we promote this being an edible food source? How do we create an industry behind this? There's a lot of uh, subsidies right now going for commercial fishermen to go harvest um, silver carp. And so I think hopefully this will lead to the creation of an industry around silver carp where hopefully there's some, some benefit to going in and removing them. That wow.
1: makes sense. Well, look, let's circle back. You were talking about some of the things you do on your on your 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 personal farm there. So you've experienced through the years how managing with food plots and just and and managing the property and the, then,
3: the transformation, the, mm-hmm.
1: right? And then and then like some of the waterfowl, you've seen yourself if a guy will do some some of the work and and plant some groceries for his waterfowl, he can have some ducks imprint on his property, and I. I would expect that you've had some really good uh, success with that. Is there anything that kind of jumps out at you that you like think every year, we got to make sure we do this?
5: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I grew up my first deer I ever harvested, my first turkey I ever harvested, the first duck I ever harvested were all on our little farm here in Missouri. And so it's very near and dear to my heart to, you know, there's still pictures I see from when we first got the farm in the early nineties, you know, my dad and his buddies, they would go, they'd harvest a spike and they'd be holding up the whole deer by its antlers, you know, off the ground. And to them back then, that was a nice buck. And, it's been so cool to see over the years how we've implemented the management practices. You know, we've left more food standing. We've uh worked on harvesting more antlerless deer and to see that resource totally turn around. And uh, it's just been so cool and so fun. You mentioned waterfowl. I think that's probably the single biggest payoff a gamekeeper, can get is when you go do a landscape project on your landscape, you put in habitat or you put in food and then you flood it and you see this group of ducks that don't live on your property. They don't live only in your neighborhood. They're coming all the way from Canada. And they're coming and putting a flag down on your place saying, that's where I'm headed. And I know Toxie's been able to do that on a couple of his farms down south. And we've been able to do it here. And that's, it's just so fun to watch. The It's a 100% because of the work that you put in, the effort you put in to managing the habitat is why they're there. i tell you how much I love it hearing you describe that. And,
3: you know, we do, he and I do share... You know communications about it over the years um, i get chill bumps just hearing you talk about that and what it means to you because i think about all of what it means to me and then the family and you kind of come to this is the make or break time of year in late summer to prepare things for them because in uh, people just like I, I went out early this morning and i had a battle with our army worms on one of the spots they almost wiped it out overnight and people ask me why or you're so frantic about the waterfowl stuff, and it's you, you just hit on it. I mean, the deer are already living there, turkeys are already there, and we want to care for them and do all that, but it's different when you're setting the table for guests from another country. <laughs> you know, if you don't set the table, they're not going to come eat, and you miss them, and it may take years to imprint them or have another shot at them. So I kind of, if you know, obsession-wise, that one for me is so critical. I worry so much if we miss a year especially this far south in today's world of warmer winters, that we uh, will miss them. So it is so much fun. It is. I am so hopelessly addicted to getting
5: ready for (laughs) him. It's it's almost a joke around here.
1: Oh, his eyes are lighting up. (laughs) Oh,
5: yeah. Hey, I'm with you. We just got done. You know, it's been really dry around our part of the world here the past, like, month and a half. And so it's got me really nervous about, you know, EHD and hemorrhagic disease, because that's been more of an an issue the past decade or so, um, up here in the Midwest, but it did allow us some good dry time to get in and get some habitat projects done in some wet areas for waterfowl. So, um, you kind of mentioned on it, you know, late summer is kind of the make or break time and, uh, you know, while it's maybe been tough on some of our food plots or getting some stuff growing, it's been a great time to get in and do some projects we wouldn't normally be able to do.
3: Wow, that's good. That's that's exactly our biggest, we haven't had a dry summer in a couple of years. And of course, that beats too much of a drought because we're trying to grow more soil plants and they have to have moisture. But it's been so wet, so repetitively here, we've had trouble getting in to do any project. So I've just been trying to sustain what we have. And honestly, this year I've done more, uh, you know, weed control herbicide used in planting when we've got some crop stuff that we were able to get in with some standing corn that'll be there for them but you know where we like to try a lot of guys choice and and millets and stuff i've really started trying to result to uh, herbicide control in our particular world in these drainages and he's been here before um we have so many plant species it's just dizzying how much we have to compete with and you do in drainages and there's some pretty good broadleaf plants but For the most part, you just can't. There's so many that are terrible that ducks won't even use if you have, that your best route is just get rid of all your broadleaves and let the grasses come on and the sedges. And that's worked really good for us. And quite honestly, if you have a good stand and a good crop, it'll last further into the winter than a lot of the stuff you plant.
4: You know, hmm. and that's, you know, we, we call them duck holes around here, but it's, it's really a wetland. And it so is, you're, exactly. You're creating an awesome spot to hunt ducks, but you can see little shore birds running around in February. Snipe, yep. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, we don't Delibes. have a whole lot of, you know, our wetlands are diminishing. And so all these little duck holes we're creating are uh, helping the big picture out. And, and it's a lot of fun to do the work too. Yeah,
1: yeah it is. Well, John Paul, we sure appreciate you coming on here. Is there anything that, uh, that's going on up there that you wanted to mention that, uh, that,
5: that we hadn't gotten to or uh, anything? Well, you know, one thing we started off touching on, you know, some conservation and stuff that we're doing. And, and one great thing that came out of Bass Pro and Cabela's coming together was the adoption of Cabela's uh, outdoor fund. Uh, to bass pro shops and our customers, and that's the program we allow our customers to round up at the register, and all that money goes to fund conservation projects. And uh, I know I've been seeing it uh, on the Gamekeepers TV show recently. I've been hearing it across the industry from a lot of people on how, you know, certain species are struggling. One of those being the eastern subspecies of wild turkey. Yes, uh. and a lot of the resources that we put out there in the past have been reactive. We have groups come to us with, hey, here's, we'd like to, get funding for this project, or can you help us with this initiative? And we're happy to do that. But I've also started pushing the team to be more proactive and saying, how can we partner with more, with an NWTF and more of these state agencies to figure out what is going on with the Eastern wild Turkey, instead of just focusing on chronic wasting disease, which is a big deal, um, but maybe doesn't have the impact today that it potentially could have in the future. But there's not much talk going on about hemorrhagic disease and EHD d- You know, so we've been trying to push the envelope on some of these state agencies and what are the biggest issues facing hunters today? And not only spending our time and effort on, on, you know, habitat or on small little projects, but what's going on across the landscape and how can we be a bigger advocate to push for hunters, you know, rights or, or to get stuff changed so that, hey, the Eastern Turkey can come back or, is there something we could do around EHD? So I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it's something great that our success has allowed us to come together to do. And that's to help lean in with all sports and women across the country to help, you know, lean in on these hot button issues and figure out how can we make a difference?
3: That's a great comment. I'll blatant plug for that right now, but yeah, I can see a lot of people would get to the cash register and hesitate. It's like, Hey, you know, it was 90 cents or something like that. And what they don't realize is that it's kind of like, my vote doesn't count. Well, you know, that's not an excuse for not voting. The world may not realize the massive amount of transactions that take place with the entirety of their enterprises. And I promise you, if everybody will round up like he's talking about, it will it will make a huge difference. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there for all the people following Miles Yoke. Be sure to do that because it actually will make a difference. It may not be, but a few cents. But I promise you, you don't you take for granted how many transactions there are, and he can speak to that. I could also say, um, you know, I, I'd love to have a say-so and where monies are spent for conservation. There's a lot of great conservation groups, but you couldn't put it in more trusted hands than the Morris family and the Bass Pro team. I'm serious. He just Absolutely. spoke to that. Yeah. So if you carry, it's just so easy to do. It's just add that little bit to when you check out. Oh
1: yeah, that that boy, that may have been the most important thing that we just talked yeah. about the whole time. Yes, well that that's awesome, JP. It really is. And I knew when we if we could if we when we got you on here that we we'd learn something from you. And we we look, we're just big fans. We re, we really are. And look, if you don't mind, I think folks ought to follow you on social media. It, it, I tell you what, you've got a neat little handle that at Pro Bass JP. It's I, it seems backwards to me, JP, but that's what it is. Well, rednecks from around my
5: neck of the woods have been calling it pro bass way longer than they've been calling it bass <laughs> pro. They, they do down here too. I was going <laughs> Absolutely.
3: To, if you're going to follow him during hunting season, you better put your tennis shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. going, to get after. He's going sure. to, yes, sir. Yeah. Every time you look up.
1: Yeah, he does. You know, I've always, when I first met him, I heard him refer to he kind of grew up in a bait shop. And I thought that was the, the neatest thing, the way he, he put that. Cause,
3: well, yeah. actually, the truth is, they did. It was it might a little bigger than the average bait shop, but it was. Yeah, it is it real big one
1: now. It, it, <laughs> it. JP, we've enjoyed having you on here for sure, and we sure appreciate all that you that Bass Pro and Cabela's does yeah, for the yeah. industry so much. Absolutely. And I know, I know, I speak for everybody, Mossy Oak. We just appreciate you so much, and and would you please tell your
5: father we said hello? Absolutely. I sure will. I'd love to. And thank you guys very much for having me on. We have the greatest respect, Toxie, for you and your family and the whole Mossy Oak family. You guys go above and beyond representing, you know, the industry and the sports we love and conservation. So thank you guys very much. And I look forward to hopefully spending some time in the woods with you guys before too long. He's Absolutely. That
0: blind. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, JP. All appreciate
3: right. See you guys. God bless. Yes. yes,
1: sir. Boy, I mean, just listen to him. He's just, he's just He's a smart young man. You know, we're
3: lucky. I'm just telling, I say it all the time, I'm not patronizing them because they're partners and customers and all that, but we're really lucky as sportsmen to have them, right, wrong, or different, whether you you may be out there and you're a retailer that competes with them. And I get that. But, again, I go back to what I said earlier. The thing that they're far over anything else is the great uniter for all of us. And we're lucky to have them, and we're lucky that he – Carries that torch. Right. He is so mm-hmm. a common thread with his dad, and so they're so close and they're so tight. But then he brings, honestly, another element to that, transitioning all this into the Adrian and together. That's just, and I know there's a massive, smart team now, especially with all the things in the last ten years. But I just, just for the public, I'm telling you, always be if you're hunting, fish, and you love outdoors, be grateful for the Morris family and be grateful for the person that John Paul is carrying that into today for his dad. Yeah. Cause he's so good at just staying out of the way and letting his dad, cause he is such an icon, but y'all be grateful for him out there and, uh, you know, support him any way you can. What he brought up, it's just so easy for all of us, including me. When you buy from him, round it up. It makes a big difference.
1: Mm, yeah, it does. Well, look, so let's do this. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Why don't we ask, get, Get Sam over here to explain this rabbit recipe that he did and, and what's going on. In the meantime, Dudley can be getting his Ask Dudley question together and we'll we'll wrap it up
2: with that. So, Sam, what? tell us about this. So, this is a smoked rabbit salsa verde ch- chilaquiles. Uh, I keep messing up that word, but
3: chilaquiles. You know what yeah. that is, Bob? I've never heard of a chilaquiles. The good thing about <laughs> Sam's cooking is not how you pronounce it, but how it tastes. <laughs> That's right. So, what it is, is, this is a very
2: traditional um, Mexican breakfast dish. Mm. And what you do first is you got to brine the rabbit. So, this is a fresh game butchery whole rabbit that we brine, uh, brine for 24 hours and then put it on the smoker wrapped in bacon and with a little Mexican homemade rub. And then, smoke that for two hours and 15 minutes. And then at the same time, we I fried some fresh-cut corn tortillas to make the chips. Wow. And then I slow-roasted a whole range of peppers and tomatillos. Um, So there's serrano peppers, jalapeno peppers, white onion, um, green, green onion. And then those are roasted in chicken bouillon and olive oil. Had those slow roasted, pull them out, blend it, mix the rabbit in with there, shredded it, and then toss in the chips. And then we topped it with some citrus radish and et, fresh egg and um, queso blanco and Mexican crema.
0: Come on. I, I, was, I, just, I was just going <laughs> I mean, to say all that myself. Sauce and chips, you know what I mean? That's
3: incredible. <laughs> it is incredible.
0: That, uh, boy, that for
3: and a that for the Dining Public, that will be published, I'm hoping. Yep, it will it's, be published. Uh, it deserves to be.
2: Woo. Yeah, but it's a great way to reimagine how wild wild game. Absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of times people traditionally only think of a lot of wild game species in a certain box, whether you fry it, you grill it, yada, yada. Wrapped but this in bacon, a, that's yeah. right. You know, i got to
3: tell my – as we we head down this road of – I mean, it couldn't be a more important thing. Not a, to bo- me. Not a, there's not a more important outcome – of hunting fishing then you know, table fare, mm-hmm. providing for your family. I still remember a couple of them. When I was a kid and I'd been out on my own, I think I didn't ask permission. We grew up on a farm. I was wild as a buck. And so I don't know, I was maybe eight years old, and I'd taken the gun out and I'd taken a rabbit, mm-hmm. brought it home. And Daddy patted me on the shoulder, just like the Mr. Fox-ism, so that like I could write a book about and He said, son, he said, the first – Step and a man, a boy becoming a man is when he can bring food home to provide for the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real proud of your son. And I was like, man, I was just beaming, you know. I was just thinking, <laughs> oh, I killed a rabbit. That's right. And that's all there was to it. But um, especially in today's world, and everybody's looking for what's better for you, I will say, tell a second story about our, our friend Bob Dixon, mm-hmm. which we're coming up, I guess it's 20, it'll be, well, it's almost 20 years since yeah. we lost him. And he's yeah. in our thoughts, and in our every enterprise, day. every single sure. day sure. in the life of the Moss Hill brand. And it always will be for whatever, if it lasts for hundreds of years, but I still remember when he got cancer and he went to see a nutritional specialist for what to eat. And, you know, obviously that's really, really critical uh, when you have cancer is the diet. And so... He was telling what he can. I remember like can't have ketchup. And there were some things like that, which you can't eat this and acidic this and and I won't get into particulars of it, but, but I, it's clear as a bell. He said, I have to ask you this, Doc. It's like we eat so much wild game. And I just I gotta know because we eat deer all the time and turkey and squirrel and fish and all this wild game. And he looked at him and he said, Mr. Dixon, I'll just be honest with you about that wild game you eating. And he was scared to death what he was gonna say. He said, if that's all the meat that people ate, I'd probably be out of a job. Mm-hmm. And he was so relieved, but that was the way the guy put it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a story worth telling, is that the great white hat of what hunting really should be about even more than the trophy. And I realized 100%. the mm-hmm. exhilaration of a 150 or 40 or 70 buck. And Everybody drinks. Yeah, that. Yeah, you can love all of it. Right. You don't have to be for one and against the other. But never lose sight of it. So with Gamekeeper Butchery and the things we're doing and is just, you know, think more in better ways. I, I I know that I've learned and even Bob Dixon taught me a better way to pre- prepare mm-hmm. doughbacks than I thought. And honestly, if we can help raise everybody's awareness and they're healthier and it leads to a better lifestyle and, and they can enjoy the meat more, you know, it just adds for a better life as an outdoors person. So we're going to be working really hard and bringing products and ideas to people in that food, and in that consumption arena. Uh, not just providing them for people, but also ideas for them to do with their own game. Well, I tell you what,
1: uh, this young man over here oh is just an incredible, his ability to cook and his ideas about cooking. So
3: well, he grew up, up the hunting right fishing, too. So he's, <laughs> right? he's been there and done that, just like John Paul said. He grew up hunting and fishing pool and still is. So he understands how to relate to people that are out there preparing their game.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds great. Well, yeah, Sam, and it's not just, you know, fried and, and with ketchup on it anymore. No. You know, what we're bringing, mm-hmm. Sam's going to bring the table is, you know, Asian influences, Spanish influences. So that's really exciting to see the uh, the, the full menu, no pun intended, of what's yeah. going to be out there. So He's opening
1: our eyes. Uh, I mean, our, yeah. our horizons are expanding. out there,
3: you want to impress your wife or your girlfriend, you need to... Uh, uh, log into what Sam's putting out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. True so, story. So guys can go
2: to is it at Gamekeeper Butchery Sam? So we have the Gamekeeper Butchery. You can look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But um, if you want to get our recipes, go to GamekeeperMeats.com. You'll they'll have all of our available wild game that you can buy, as well as an ingredient wild um, recipe page where you can look at all the recipes that we're posting from a range of chefs that are constantly putting new ideas for. all all sorts of different wild games so go check it out it's a great place to get your source on everything cooking wild game wise
1: and last but not least I'm told that you're about to start a podcast uh, is that correct yes sir so in the next few weeks a guy will be able to listen to you and some others Vandy and Daniel and some others talking about Wild game cooking, right?
2: Ingredient a, wild. Ingredient yeah. wild. So it's going to be everything from, you know, gardening to foraging to wild game meats. And it's going to be a really wholly encompassing in terms of the wild food world, Josh. Hey. Hey.
3: Oh, I'm, I'm so excited yeah, about it. Yeah, we're super excited about yeah, it. i tell you we're what, sure. it's another benefit. Uh, get your sons or, or daughters interested in boy you'll enjoy some great cooking <laughs> yeah exactly i've right. enjoyed mine uh taking off with it you know yeah well, that's awesome and preparing stuff for me and diane it's so satisfying you
0: you alluded to it earlier but i mean it is you know so satisfying to be able to bring you know things home and you're telling the story of you know mr fox telling you i could just see how that happened with my kids too you know we mm-hmm. killed the first turkey he was you know even though we just fried it and put a honey mustard on the table son he was the man of the hour, you know. <laughs> he had put bread yeah, that's a the good thing on the baking
3: home, you
0: know. It's so yeah, that's cool.
3: good. It's important. It it's really important. It's really yeah. important. And it's going to be more important as time moves on because, like and John Paul alluded to it, it's just trying as best we can to perfect that cycle mm-hmm. of the earth providing stuff for us and us taking care of it so it's there for it. And At It's the just same not, time. not a better story in history of mankind than, than our sportsmen and that's wild right. game. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, it is. I,
1: look, you—you you made me smile today thinking about a young Toxie and Hayden, and 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 I can, I can remember back my some of my experiences. But young children,
5: yeah,
1: w- when they're exposed to harvesting something and they just see the benefit of it and they get to eat it, that, that it just kind of connects the dots for them. And yeah, it's, it's it really a,
0: shapes them as a human. That's what needs mm-hmm. to happen, right?
1: So, look, this podcast has go- gone kind of long. Do we do we have a D- Ask Dudley question? We can.
4: We
0: do. We
1: can throw in here real quick. Yeah. Let's get it going.
0: You got it. Dudley, what is your favorite hybrid oak? Oh, there's going to be some opinions on this one.
4: Sims, and he didn't say exactly where he was, but somewhere in the Tennessee River
0: bottom. Mm. So what is your favorite hybrid oak? Uh,
4: You know, it, it changes so frequently, but uh, it always comes back to one. Uh, we used to call it the Stevens oak. Yep. Um, but it, it's a cross between the overcup oak and the white oak. Um, it's a beautiful tree. Um, it'll grow just about anywhere. It's it's half overcup, so it can handle wetter soils, and then it's half white oak, so it, it's got you know genetics that can handle upland sites. But uh, it just seems like no matter where you plant it, it it grows like a weed. Uh, it can produce acorns at a pretty young age. Uh, Deer and all the other critters like to eat them, uh, so I've got I've got a lot of favorites, but for some reason I always gravitate to that one. Mm. Always come back to that one.
1: Is that one on? Uh, obviously, it's on native nursery. Yeah, but it's, uh, it sells out. Every yeah, year, we call it?
4: it Rainmaker Oak. Yeah, uh, we originally found it um, in a friend's yard, last name Stevens, and so we we were calling it Stevens Oak.
3: But we have found I don't know I know of uh, three like for sure because one of the things we. Dudley painstakingly looks at the trees we've selected to be, before we start actually using them. Mm-hmm. But I can think of three or four maybe, and we may have lost one of those. So I don't know how many you found other than those original ones I knew about. But um, they're not a lot. They're not as common as some of the other hybrids we find a lot of.
4: No. And they're kind of locally common, the, mm-hmm. the few that we found. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a really interesting tree. It in, is. Uh, it doesn't have a botanical name yet, and I think— That's
3: one of the only few that we found that no one else has named yet. And,
0: yeah. so well, we need to name that We thing. need to name it. We've, been, <laughs> we've probably
3: been 12 or more years since, or 15, since we oh, yeah. actually discovered yeah. it and realized Easily what it contained. was for sure. It's what's really fun to see, and you're right, I need to hush, I'll say, but we've, we've raised so many of them. You can watch enough— offspring and then for sure determine what the hybrid is That's a, he's if you like watch a them for a couple of genera- not generations a couple of years of offspring and look at the variety and then they'll tell you were you right or wrong or was it something different and so uh, nobody can do that like Dudley this one definitely is so I, we got we got to
4: um Toxie's pretty dang good at it too yeah he's real good at it
0: so I, what's your favorite hybrid
3: all of them. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, I've always, because one of the, the first thing that cued me into it was the Titan. Sure. Which is the Swamp Chestnut White Oak Cross. Mm-hmm. So, it would be a coin toss between that and the Rainmaker of this white um, um, that he's talking about. I yeah. can't. An overcup cross. White overcup. It's something, I'll, and Dudley knows way, he's forgotten more than I know about this stuff. Whatever. I just love it. But um, there's something about the overcup crosses yeah. that seem to be more vigorous and have yes. more... Heterosis than a lot of the other things we've kind of discovered. It's just for whatever reason, uh, and maybe some of the burr crosses do that too, and I don't know what it is about them, but I can I, remember Dudley planting a Totten, in, uh, which is a swamp chestnut overcup, actually. And uh, the first year, it was like eight or nine feet tall.
0: Yeah, eight foot, six inches tall. It's almost like those those overcups can su- survive on such poor sites you know, they just have this growing bigger. And you put them, you know, pair them up with a, a better tasting one uh, in a good site. And it's amazing what they do. It really is. Yeah, I
4: think the overcup thing, and, and we got to digress here. But oh, yeah. So The reason they
0: grow you so said, fast. I, at we didn't know we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> The reason they grow so
4: fast at a young age, that overcup parent is usually on sites that flood heavily every year. And I think that's God's way. Of making them survive through floods uh, yeah. when they're young, is if Makes they're not—if they're not tall, they don't survive. So,
0: that's right. and that's you know, I didn't appreciate an overcup oak before we started figuring out all this hybrid stuff. You know, I was like, I think it was a white oak on the edge of a slough, and I get over there too, and I'm like, that gummit. But you know, I've got a huge appreciation for them now because they are out there hybridizing and 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 with more vigorous growth and producing more mass than you ever thought they could. So, fun, 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 it fun. is fun, 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 fun. good.
1: Well, thank you, Doug. Awesome. What's how your favorite? You have. There, there it is. There we go. Richie in the house over there. My favorite. What's your
0: favorite oak tree? A pecan.
5: No, I
1: <laughs> I to say a pecan. You know, look, I've I've got a lot of memories of, of when I was younger of water oaks, bow uh-huh. hunting water oaks. Yeah, the first one to drop. But I can remember somebody finally explaining the whole white oak scenario mm-hmm. and how they dropped about the first of November, and that kind of changed my whole appreciation for oaks. Yeah, love a white oak. Love a white oak. Yeah, Love we do. Them all. So, look, guys, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I would encourage people, please, if you enjoy our podcast, or just give us a review on the Apple Podcast
0: uh, page, yeah. or whatever that thing's called. I, and speaking of trees, we just loaded a lot of inventory on the Native Nursery site, so go check it out. Check it out. Got some new species. No, that's good. I've heard y'all loading
1: it up. Yeah, yeah, I heard the forklift back Max there. <laughs>
0: yeah, so,
1: so yeah, so y'all go to Native Nurseries. Check that out, and uh, and also our on Tuesday nights, guys. The Gamekeeper Television Show is is running uh, at nine o'clock Eastern Time. Mac uh, is not in here, but if Mac was here, he's I'd working ask on him. the warehouse. So yeah, so he, he's he is busy doing something. So uh, look, it's been fun. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley?
0: Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie.